Hello, I'm Dr. Joseph Kern, and welcome to A Radiant Moment. Get ready to receive helpful insights and a relevant word for today's world. For service times, live streaming, and location, visit us online at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Now, let's listen in as we bring you a powerful and dynamic word for your life today. This is A Radiant Moment with Dr. Joseph Kern. Put your hands in your eyes. Say, Holy Spirit, give me 3D vision that I might know the heights, the depth, the breadth, and the length of your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, high five two people. Amen. That means game on. We're ready to go. But we find in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, a divine outline of the book of Revelation. Jesus says to John, he says, write those things which thou hast seen. And that is the vision of Christ from chapter 1, verses 4 through 18. And then he says, then write those things which are, and at that time you had the seven churches, and that's chapters 2 and 3. And then he says, John, then write the things hereafter. Hereafter what? Chapter 4 starts with hereafter, hereafter the church age. That's from Revelation chapter 4 to 22. And you have the tribulation, what we know as the great tribulation. And we will start on that, what, next week, right? Amen. And there's four levels of meaning or four levels of application when the Spirit says, he that has near, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. First, there's a local meaning. In other words, there were seven actual churches that these letters were written to. And I believe there's the same, the spirit of these churches are still alive today. Does that make sense? In other words, we still have the, the Philadelphia church. We still have Laodicea. We still, among us all as a whole. That's why he wrote these. These churches somehow are symbolic of all of us. Amen. And then they're admonitory. What does that mean? They're warnings. Jesus is warning us. He's telling us to repent. He's telling us to get it right. Amen? And then there's a homiletic application. It means there's a personal application. Yes, as a church, we should repent. But as we listen to these letters, there should be a personal application that God speaks to you directly. And I know for me, I mean, honestly, I I haven't felt so close to the Lord in a long time as I have after studying these because it's been making me search myself. It's been making me look at myself and say, Lord, I can be a better person. I could be a better pastor. I can be a better father. I can be a a better lover to my wife. And, And what's causing this is because I'm reading these letters and I'm realizing how short I am sometimes. Amen? And that's the homiletic version that our application that we begin to apply this to our own hearts. Not just say, oh, that's for that church. That's for this person. Oh, I'm going to buy the CD for that person. No, what is for you? What, what's in there for you? Amen. And then we have the, um, we have the prophetic um, application. And that's where these churches in a particular order, they literally outline the history of the church for the next 2,000 years. And it's profound, if you go back and look at your notes, how Jesus spoke the next 2,000 years of history, and now we're at the last day church called Laodicea. And as we look at the history, every point I make, I'm referencing it because it somehow relates to the church, even its history. That's why Jesus picked these these churches, because their history somehow relates to what the church was doing in the, in the spiritual realm. There was something the people were doing in the natural realm, but the people that lived in those cities were doing the same thing in the spiritual realm. Does that make sense? So every detail is important, which is why if you take the notes, you can even get more out of just reading the notes, because there's only so much I can cover here. As we look at a quick church overview, if we look at the seven churches, and I just give you one sentence overview, if I could do that. The first church we covered was the church of Ephesus. And it was admonished to return to their first love or to their best love. And how many know that we need to go back to Jesus and make him our first love, our best love? 
Then there was a church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, and they were encouraged to be faithful unto death. If it's true that we're in the last days, some of us might be the church of Smyrna. In fact, these letters were written to the area of Iraq where literally churches that were there for 2,000 years were literally wiped out in the last five years. Whole thousands of people. So the church of Smyrna is still very much alive. In fact, if you've done any study on martyrs, you know that there's been more martyrs killed in the last 100 years than the first 1,900 years of the church. Fortunately, in, 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 in our country, we don't suffer that type of martyrdom. But there's still Church of Smyrna out there, amen? And then we have the Church of Pergamos, the church that married and mixed with the Babylonian mystery paganism. In other words, if you want to know, you know, what does um, the Easter bunny have to do with Easter? What does Santa have to do with Jesus? Absolutely nothing. It's called paganism. And what we do is we, we told you this is where it came. It was at Pergamos where all those stories, all this came in. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. But the Bible says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Why? Because Jesus is asking us to get it right. Amen? And sometimes, it's funny, we can see the devil in Egypt. We can see the devil in Muslim countries, but we can't see the devil in our own country sometimes. We can see the devil in India with all these hands and heads and all that. Ooh, the devil. But you can't see that devil hanging in your house sometimes. Come on. Anyways. Thyatira. They tolerated sin and false doctrine, and you can see Thyatira is really the, raised, the rise of the Catholic Church. And I don't have a personal beef against the Catholic Church. I can't change the history. It is what it is. And the way you know that I'm being an equal opportunity offender is when we covered Sardis, which was the denominational churches. At least, you know, um, the, the Thyatira had a whole bunch of things they were doing right, but the denominational churches, Jesus said, wake up, you're about to die. And if you look at churches in, in Europe and even in America, churches are dying. And it's, 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 a, it's a call to wake up. And then we have the Church of Philadelphia, the one that everyone wants to be because Jesus had nothing bad to say about it. It was the Church of Brotherly Love. And the reason why Jesus was so proud of it, not because it was perfect, but because it shared the gospel. It shared, it, this church shared the gospel everywhere it went. And that's why Jesus said, you know, I have nothing to say about you. You're doing everything you can do to, to send the gospel out. Amen? And now we come to today, the church of Laodicea. I believe this church is covering 1945 to the end of the church age. We're in it in the middle of it right now. So if you were going to listen to any of my sermons, this is probably the most important one because now Jesus is speaking to this where we're at right here. So let's listen to what Jesus had to say to us in Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22. Let's hear it. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I 
hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These messages are strong, and often because we're so lethargic, we don't want to hear it. But Jesus promises a special blessing to everyone that will hear these messages and repent. Amen. And so let's go over the history of Laodicea. We find that it was located in the Lycus River Valley, south of Philadelphia, near to Colossae. It had a twin city named Herapolis, and it was known for its hot springs because Laodicea, this is really important to note, it had no water source of its own. Laodicea imported hot water from Herapolis, and they imported cold water from Colossae in a man-made six-mile open aqueduct, which you can actually see a picture of the aqueduct in that slide. Herapolis was located near Laodicea in Colossae, and again, it imported the hot water to Laodicea. Laodicea, listen to this, was built not to be military defendable. Therefore, it was always vulnerable to attacks and it developed a characteristic of compromise. So even the city itself had to compromise because it did not have good military to defend itself. And the reason why I mention that because that is the same characteristic of the church. This church of Laodicea was a compromising church. It was willing to get rid of some of its high ideals in order to function, if you will. In 2000 BC, it was founded by the Ionians and became named Diospolis. In 1900 BC, it was added to the Hittite Empire. A thousand years later, the Phrygians took position, possession, but soon after, the Lydians took control and renamed the village Roas. However, about 250 BC, the Syrians captured Roas and Antiochus II rebuilt it renaming the town, this is important, Laodicea, after his wife, Laodice. And hopefully we'll get to talk about her in a minute. About 190 BC, it was incorporated into the kingdom of Pergamon, and consequently later, with the rest of that kingdom, passed into the hands of the Roman Empire. Now this is really important to understand, because Laodicea was known for its three things. And it's fascinating that the three things that they were the strongest for were the three things that Jesus rebuked them for. How many know sometimes our strengths can be our weaknesses? And so number one, they were known for their wealth. It was the city of banking and exchange. Gold, silver, wealth were accumulated and stored in Laodicea. Caesarea in 51 AD did, it, did his banking there. This was a city of merchants bankers, and gold refiners. It was known all over the world as the, as the center of banking, if you will. The second thing it was known was for its designer clothes. It was the manufacturing center for the garment industry. If you wanted to know what was hip, what was in fashion and clothing, you would go all the way to Laodicea because that was the center of the clothing designers, if you will. In fact, they were known for their valuable, glossy, black wool, soft in texture. They were known for these these dresses and clothes that were black in nature for their color. The black wool that was woven into garments was called tremata, and they were prized in the Roman world. Interesting, because what Jesus later encourages them by is opposite of what they were producing in that city. But this is really important to know. So they were known for their wealth. They were known for their designer clothes. They were known for also the third thing, health. 
There was also a medical center in Laodicea, excuse me. And Laodicea had a medical school with the famous eye doctor. His name was Demosthenes Philalethes. Demosthenes Philalethes. And he was known for his eye ointment called Phrygian powder. This eye medication was said to heal all manner of eye disease. It was described by Aristotle and people sent from all over the world for their healing Phrygian powder. So they were known for wealth. They were known for health. And they were known for their fly clothes, their designer clothes. Now, Jesus says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, the word Laodicea, I can end it right here and be done by just telling you the name. The name of Laodicea means the people rule, are the rule of the people. And this is fascinating because that's exactly, this was a church where they did what they want. They don't care what the pastor says. They don't care what God says. It's what I say. That's why they're called Laodicea. And it's interesting because the first two churches suffered from the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, remember? The doctrine of the Laodiceans was where the preachers ruled and they held their people under their feet, remember? And Jesus says, I hate that doctrine. Remember, we talked about it. But now we've gone so far to the opposite side. Now the church is called the Laodiceans. It's not the preachers ruling, the people rule. But Jesus says, I may have hated the, 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 the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. So it shows you how much he hates both extremes. He says, I know you're ruling, but I'm about to spit you out. So we better find out a little bit more about this. We find in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, we were warned about the Laodiceans that they would come to pass. And you know what? The more you hear me speak, the more you're going to go, that sounds like much of the church today. For the time will come when they will not endear sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. The Bible says that there was coming a day when the Laodiceans will arrive, and they will go to churches based on what they want to hear, not the truth. And I've never seen a time where people go from church to church because they want to hear what they want to say. If you actually preach the gospel, they won't come next week. If you offend them by telling the truth, and that's why they're called the people rule. Itching ears. Oh, I don't like what he has to say. He's offensive and he, he's this, he's that, he's that, or she's that. Come on. I'm about to say some things that might offend you. Sorry. But many churches, listen to me closely. I'm, I'm about to, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the veil off. Many churches do market research. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they bend over backwards to be what we call seeker friendly to itching ears. You've heard seeker-friendly, right? That is the thing. All the churches growing, they're called seeker-friendly. That's an exact example of changing things so that you don't offend people who don't know the gospel. Now, am I saying they're all wrong? Even No, they have to answer for themselves. But that is exactly what seeker-friendly is about, where you don't say anything, you don't do anything that's offensive. Well, you might as well not preach the gospel. Oops, I think that's what's happening. I want to give you two examples that might be offensive, but it's the word of God. Many churches don't allow the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation for one reason, so that people that are visiting won't be uncomfortable. Again, remember, the Bible always equates the Holy Spirit to water, and Laodicea has what? No water of its own. In other words, Jesus is saying, you have no spirit. 
The spirit of God ain't flowing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 through 25, Paul talks why it's so important to have the gifts of the spirit. Because it's, it's the gifts of the spirit when they're in operation, they convict the hearts of men. And if you're not allowing the gifts, for example, if we would have just said, Heather, sorry, you have a word. You can't prophesy in this place. Someone might not have got that word and someone might not have been convicted. You saw the altar call right after the word. When you don't have prophecy, or what God is saying today, you're not going to have a flow of the spirit. You're not going to have altar calls because people don't even know what God is saying today. In fact, the quenching of the Holy Spirit in our American churches has become so common that here's a joke I want to share with you that preachers know. Maybe you don't know it. And it's a joke explaining what I just said. Here it goes. There was once a lady attending one of those cold, dead churches that, were all, that we all dread. While the preacher was preaching, she stood up and proclaimed, I found the Holy Spirit. I found the Holy Spirit. Immediately, a grumpy old deacon stood up and yelled even louder, sit down and be quiet because you didn't find him here. <laughs> oh, let me tell you something. You stand up and you say, you call out the Holy Spirit, many churches will exit you out so quick. Many churches are like Laodicea. They have no water supply. John 7, 38 says, he that believeth on me, the scripture has said, out of his belly shall what? Flow rivers of living water. See, living water is representative of the Holy Spirit. And when he says, Laodicea, you have no water. He's saying, where's my spirit in your place? And definitely in most churches right now, they don't allow the gifts of the Holy Spirit move. They don't pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't see any sign that the Spirit's even there. All you hear is a dead preacher. Second example, and again, I make no apologies, but... If I wanted to be, you know, grow without numbers, I definitely would not say this to you. Here's a second example. In 2003, Gene Robinson became the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church in the United States. After the Episcopalian Church approved the election of an openly gay bishop, they passed a resolution approving gay marriages. Now, here's what's interesting. This is so rocking the church world. I just preached last week about the Methodists. Remember? God really used them during the second awakening. If you look at the news, there's an article from 2017. Their 13-member denomination is about to break up in half due to this issue. In fact, it's on the brink of schism due to its highest court ruling that its first openly gay bishop, and you see a picture of her, Karen Oliveto, violated church law because she is a bishop, but she's openly gay. And you see these people coming in the church, and they don't care if they, if they ruin a 13 million people organization because that's what they're there for they're wolves in sheep's clothing a 214 pew research center check this out i'm explaining to you why laodicea is the way it is i'm giving you two examples a 2014 pew research center reported that a majority of u.s christians 54 percent now say that homosexuality should be accepted rather than discouraged by society and that's why you go to a lot of these churches and you can tell clearly most musicians are gay and homosexual. That's why you go, oh, it got quiet in here. That's why you can tell many of the preachers got a marriage, but you can tell they're, after, they're chasing guys when no one's looking. And you know what? If you know if I wanted to be popular, I wouldn't say this message. This does not bring in the offerings. Did you hear what I'm saying? I'm surprised we have this big a crowd because I offend people every week. And they do, they leave. They don't want to hear this. They are the church layer to see with itching ears. I don't want to hear this preacher. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
In fact, let's look what the Bible says. Let's read the Amplified. But you, by the way, do you think that God, the day when it went from, you know, less than 50 to 54, God said, Michael, we need to change our policy on homosexuality. The American church has ruled that it's okay now. In fact, Michael, I want you to send a new version of Exodus and Leviticus 18 because we've changed the rules. Make sure all the churches get that. There's nowhere in the New Testament. Oh, well, let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Do you know not, or do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Let me break this simple to you. You all know the kingdom of God is Jesus' kingdom, representative of heaven. And it says, they that are evil will not inherit. That means you won't go to heaven. And then if you wonder, well, who are those people, pastor? Who are the evildoers? We'll keep reading. Do not be deceived or misled. Neither the impure, the immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality. Drop the mic. Verse 11. And some of you were once, you used to be homosexual, but God has set you free. Don't tell me God can't set you free from homosexuality. God's greater than your own lustful desires. So then why you never hear this preached? Honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I haven't heard, I'm a preacher. I haven't heard no one say what I said. What I just said right now. I don't know. If you know, I'm shocked. And if they do, they probably have a church of 10 or 15. What's going on? Why are the churches aren't preaching the truth? Why are they, why are they like this? I'm about to take, I'm going to tell you something so truthful, it hurts. Get ready, write this down. Here's why the churches aren't preaching this stuff. They're not preaching holiness. Here it is. There is a decline in church attendance and money given to churches. The root of it, money. And the love of money is the root of all even in the church. Preachers aren't preaching it because it affects their attendance, which affects their income. It affects, here, let me, for example, according to churchleadership.org by Richard Craig Seard, I hopefully I said that right, every year, listen to this, 4,000 churches close the doors. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. These numbers are extraordinary. 50% of Americans have no church homes. According to nonprofit source, and this is the part, oh, Lord, it hurts. Only 5% of the people tithe, and 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. Christians are giving 2.5% of their income. Only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing. 7% of the churchgoers have dropped regular giving by 20% or more. Okay, let me break this down. So, only... Three to five percent of people are actually tithing, but of that three percent to five percent, they're only giving two point five percent, and then that of that two point five percent, another what was it? I forgot. Let me get that number. Another seven percent have lowered another twenty percent of their giving. It's horrible, and you know what's crazy? That's today, Laodicea. We don't tithe. And we don't give what we're supposed to. If you do, praise God and thankful for you because that's why I'm still standing here. Amen? 
Did you know in the Great Depression, they gave more in the Great Depression, they gave at 3.3%. They gave more. Because we're at the last days. And you know what? You know what's crazy? If these numbers are correct, and I think they are. Did you know, we've been trying to buy this building for how many years? Three years. I need a million dollar down payment. I've done everything I can and I've sold everything, right? And it's just not happening. Did you know if these numbers are correct, I should have had the numbers in three months by just normal giving. Because we pay $40,000 of bills per month. Now, if you just do 10%, not even 5%, 10%, that's $400,000 per month. In three months, we would have had this paid. But people don't tithe. So I have to make important decisions. Even like, you know, like, I'm, here we come again, third year, right? And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm believing, or else I wouldn't be doing this. And the reason why we have to have this bill, look, at, we're filled. We have two services. But if we come down and, and I don't have the money or so, God doesn't do some type of miracle, some, I will pick a small building and who can fit will fit. Because I'm not here. You don't pay me anyways. So it's not like the more numbers, the bigger I get an in income. I don't get paid by any of you. I'm not complaining. I'm trying to tell you, this is why everybody's giving is important. Amen? Everybody. I want to be big, not for personal reasons. I don't get paid for it. I want to be because I want to spread the gospel. I want to preach to people. I want to get to people. But we got to get this right. This is definitely the church of Laodicea these last days. I'm not talking just to radio. As a whole, we need to get that right. But I'm explaining to you why churches aren't, because they don't want to lose more than they already have. While I was preaching this message, we have only three roles in the first service, and there were at least two that walked out while I was preaching the message. Because I don't want to hear that. I'm going to go somewhere where they'll just tell me I can get everything for free and, and just show up. And, and they won't, they're not going to knock me for not paying my tithes. Okay, well, go. There you go. So churches are doing anything they can to increase membership and stay open. In fact, you know what a lot of people, okay, let me, I might as well go off on this. my chance. You know how people pick churches? They pick them like gymnasiums. If they have a gym, if they have a program for the children, a program, and all this, and that's how people pick their churches. So the only ones that survive are these real large ones, and it's because a few millionaires are there, and they're the ones really taking care of everything. I know this as a fact. Uh, my church don't have a gym. You shouldn't go there. Really? The church didn't come here to, for you to be their gym. Church doesn't come here based off the daycare and nightcare, even though we have it. And I wouldn't mind having a gym. Hey, give more times. I'll get you a gym. But that's not why we should be picking churches. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Remember what Laodicea was known for? That's the modern church. The problem, though, according to Jesus, is that many in the church are poor and blind. That's what he said. Look at Judges 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's where we're at right now. People, I don't care what you say, pastor. I want to do what I want to do because this is how I see it. I don't care what the Bible says. The people rule. In fact, let's look at, this is so amazing because look at the words Jesus used when he talked to the Laodiceans. He says, of the church, underline, of the Laodiceans. Of the church, underline, of the Laodiceans. Did you know six times to the other letters, he wrote six other letters, he said this, of the church in. This is the only church where he said of. Why? Because the church did not belong to Jesus. It belonged to the Laodiceans. They ruled. He says, in your church. No wonder why at the end of the book, with the Laodiceans, he's what? Knocking, trying to get in. He's not even in the church. Three titles. I'm telling you, I could start right now, and I think you got the heart of it, because you're living it. But I'm going to keep going until my time's over, and then we'll go. 
Three titles that Jesus used for himself. And the titles are important to look at because these titles, he's rebuking them by using these titles. First title, he says, I am the amen, which means true. It means verily. It means so be it. And in other words, what he says is true. In fact, one of the interesting things you might want to write down is 2 Corinthians 1.20. Because it says all the promises of God are in him are yea and amen. We end all of our prayers with what? Amen. Why? Because Jesus is the amen. And so when you say amen, at the simultaneous same time, Jesus is saying, it shall be done. In other words, I'm the one who makes it come to pass. And when you say amen, you're prophetically saying it's done already. I don't need to talk about it anymore. Come on, talk to me. Second title he uses is the faithful and true witness. God can't lie, Titus 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 18 says it's impossible for him to lie. But we find that Jesus used this term in John 18, 37, that he, he is the true and faithful witness. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. What? That I should bear witness unto the truth. He's the faithful and true witness. In other words, you have a certain opinion about yourself, Laodicea. You think very highly of you, but I have a different opinion in my Opinion is what is truth, not yours. Title number three, and this is so fascinating. He calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. And this sounds very unusual to us because it sounds funny in English. But the word beginning is the word ark, A-R-C-H-E. You might want to write that down. It means the origin, the source, are first in rank and honor. In other words, this phrase doesn't mean the first to be created. When people read, they go, oh, he's the beginning, the first to be created. No, it means he's the source of all creation. He's the beginning of it. Are you following me? So the Greek is saying that, in other words, he's God. When you say you're the beginning of all creation, you're saying you're the source, you're it. Okay? In fact, you can read this in Hebrews 1, 8 through 10, John 1, 1 through 3. It's all where Jesus talks about him being the creator of all things. John 1, 10, he says he was in the world and the world was made by him. So he is the beginning of God's creation. And why would he say this to the Laodicean church, which I believe goes from 1945 to the end into the tribulation? Why would he say this? Because if you really look down the controversy that's in our news every day, the hottest topic that's been for the last 60 years has been whether God is the creator or not. The whole idea of creation versus evolution. And so to that age, he says, by the way, I know the big controversy. Let me end it for you. I am the creator. Now, this controversy, this heresy that, of evolution has consequences. And I hope today that your eyes come, that you, you, you can see clearly what I'm about to say right now. The theory of evolution is what actually caused our Supreme Court to outlaw school prayer in 1963. Many of you don't know this, but up until 1963, when you went to school, you didn't just say the Pledge of Allegiance. You said a prayer every day, and then often scriptures were read to you. There was a lady by the name of Madeline Murray O'Hare. Because of her, we don't have prayer in school, nor do we have um, the reading of scriptures. And in fact, the case was settled. It was called Abington School District versus Shemp. Um, um, it was in 1963, eight to one in favor of abolishing school prayer, Bible reading in public schools, because this one lady decided she did not want her kid to have school prayer or hear it or the Bible. By the way, did you know he later became a preacher? Interesting, huh? God always gets vengeance, amen? Don't box the God, your arms are too short. 
But here's what's crazy. Not a single Christian organization filed a brief in support of school prayer, so the case went virtually uncontested before the court. Not one organization, Christian organization, rose up with a brief to fight it. Why is this so fascinating? Because we, in our culture, just this last Friday, saw the death of one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest evangelists, Billy Graham. But he was influenced by somebody you might not know. Another preacher who preached to over 100 million people in his day named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday said something just a few, maybe 30 years before school prayer was taken out. Notice what he says. The rivers of America will run with blood filled to their banks before we will submit to the taking the Bible out of our schools. So while he's preaching, he's boasting. We love the Bible so much that there would be rivers of blood flowing before we'd allow the Bible taken out of our school 30 years ago. That's how much a generation changed. In fact, so much has changed. Well, before I get this, let me, I, let me, this is another interesting thing. A court case, Stone versus Graham in 1980, the Supreme Court held that Kentucky schools could not display the Ten Commandments on classroom walls. This happened while I was in school. You want to hear the reason? Here's what the Supreme Court said, why we can't put the Ten Commandments. This is shocking. If the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read meditate upon, and perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments, which the court said is not a permissible state objective under the establishment clause. They, the Supreme Court said the reason why we cannot post the Ten Commandments in our schools because the kids might actually obey it by reading it. They understood God's word is so powerful that you can post Ten Commandments and not even be taught, but just seeing it can literally curve the behavior of kids, and they even said it. Therefore, we got to get rid of it. Right now, our culture is all about school shootings. I'll boldly tell you, we've always had guns. We weren't shooting everybody then. What's changed? The people have changed. We've become degenerate. Our morals are lax. We're angry. We have media. When I was a little kid, you saw the news at 6 o'clock, maybe if you watched it. I wasn't. Now I have to watch it 24-7 on my phone and your kids, and they're becoming depressed. They're becoming suicidal. They're, I mean, all the numbers show because guess what? They can't handle it. We weren't made to look at bad news 24-7. And you know what? We'll talk about everything but what I just said. And in 1993, the Heritage Foundation they said, let's look what's happened since prayer was taken out of school. Let's examine the numbers. They said, let's look at the last 30 years. So this was 1993. From 63 on, here's what they found out. The population increased 41%. The gross domestic product increased 300%. Social spending increased 500%. Those are good things. Yet, 560% increase in violent crime. 400% increase in illegitimate births. We didn't have, did you know before prayer school, you didn't find, even in the black families, kids without fathers. 400% increase in the divorce rate. 300% increase in single parent homes. 200% increase in teenage suicides. 75% drop in SAT scores. Since 1963, we have seen increases in divorce rate, breakup of family units, acceptance of homosexuality, teenage pregnancies, murder of inconvenient babies, and the crime rate sure, just soar just from not having prayer in school in the Ten Commandments. 
And guess what? We didn't have school shootings. In fact, I studied this big time. Before 1966, there was only one case of a mass school shooting, school shooting. I'm talking about where a student just randomly shoots people. You'll find school shooting, but where students became crazy and start shooting randomly anybody. There's only one, and it wasn't even a, a student. It's called the Bath School Disaster of 1927. It was the administrator. He killed 45 people. It was the greatest killing of all, I mean, of all time until 1966. So after school, just three years later, now we start getting school shootings. In 1966, are you ready for this? From 1966 to 2013, because I did this study, there were over 130 U.S. school attacks from 1966 to 2013. Since 2013, because that was the last time I studied it, but since I begin to relook at it because of this teaching today, since 2013 to 2018, there's been 291 reported school shootings in America. Is it guns that have increased? No. The people are changing. And we can get rid of every gun. You're still going to have some fool shooting up folks because guess what? There's a heart problem. There's a spiritual problem. There's a devoid in our schools. In our, we need to repent. One of the founders of our country, Daniel Webster, an American politician, 1782 to 1852, look what he said. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. He says, if we ever get rid of the Bible out of our schools, we're in trouble. And I think we're in trouble. And you know what's sad? You have all these programs, the kids crying, rightfully so, and they demand change. But what they're not being told is the truth is what you need is Jesus Christ. What you need is the gospel. You need the prayer. You need reading the Bible. Because that changes men's hearts. Not some law by Congress. All of a sudden, someone's going to change because the law was written. Evil will, will continue. You cannot legislate morality. You can't change a man's heart. Just because you wrote a, a law in the, letter, in, the, in the name of a dead person, I'm sorry to say that. The apostle Peter warned us of these people, the Laodicean church. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, knowing that first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of the coming? You know why so many in the church don't have morals? Because they don't even believe in the second coming. Where is this promise? He's been saying that forever. People have been saying, my granddaddy was saying that. My papa, where's Jesus coming? Exactly what Peter said. In fact, it's so bad. Did you know in some churches it's controversial to even talk about the rapture? Because what? Because that means he's coming. And if he's coming, that means you have to answer for what you're doing. No one wants to hear that. I don't want to hear about a rapture. I don't want to hear about a second coming. No, because I want to keep doing and sinning. If, if, I, if there's a rapture, then I mean, I'd have to keep looking and making sure I'm living right. And so with engineers, I'm going to go where they teach on, well, they have a different view of prophecy. It's not in the Bible, but, but it's their theories. Okay. I'll never preach this theory from you. I'm preaching straight from the Bible. commendation. There's not one good thing said about this church. It's the only church nothing good is said. This church was complacent. It was comfortable. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, it says they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. And it says from such turn away. If you go to a place where they do not see, where you don't see the power of God, the Bible says flee from them. That dead church will kill you faster than anything. How many churches have a true passion for the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't think too many because only 2% of the church people actually invite unchurched people. That's Tom Rainer, 2003 statistics. 
we are definitely the church. Remember Philadelphia, God had nothing bad to say about them. Was it because they were perfect? No, because what, they, what was their heart compassion? Their heart compassion was for the loss. He says, you know what? I don't have nothing bad to say about you because you're constantly going after the loss. Laodicea, right? Our numbers, 2% of people tell people about the Lord. You want to know why Jesus is ready to spit us all out? Here's what's interesting. Are you ready for this? The Greeks, now I'm talking about the government, built the church of Philadelphia. Not the church, but the city, Philadelphia. And they built Laodicea. Historically, this is why you've got to study the history. They actually built Philadelphia and Laodicea to be, they called it, um, if I can use the term, to export the Greek culture. They were picked to be missionary cities for the Greek culture. That's why it was the center of banking. It was the clothing center. They wanted Greek culture to spread through the world. So Laodicea was specifically picked to press the message of the Greeks. Are you following me? So they were ordained to be evangelists. Are you following me? You know what history tells us about Philadelphia? It was much more successful than Laodicea in, in, in spreading out the gospel of the Greeks, if you will. And you know why historians say it was more successful? The, oh my God, this is so much the church. It says because Philadelphia, the message was more important than the money, where with Laodicea, the money was more important than the message. Ouch. That was history. And you wonder why Jesus looking at Laodicea and saying, what was going on governmentally is going on in the church. You're all about money. And you know what's crazy? Now, I believe in prospering. You know that. I'm the one who said there's going to be a seven-year transfer of wealth. But I don't harp on it because there's more to that than just getting money. But even in this church, we do code breakers every three weeks. And people will come, you know, a good amount of people. But if I announce I'm going to talk about Bitcoin or currency, man, it fills up in this place. If I do a teaching on Wednesday nights, you know, and we'll fill this whole arena. If I do the money game, it fills up for eight weeks. Now I'm glad people come, but it shows you the heart of the church. If it's about money, I'll be there. If not, you know what? Say that for someone else. I'm not interested in holiness. I'm not interested in doing right. I'm just interested. Show me how to get blessed. I'm blessed. And Jesus says, you're poor, wretched, and blind. Right? I'm not speaking specifically to you, so don't be offended if it's not you. If you're offended because God's saying there's something of you in there. Now you know why I've been repenting all week after I hear these messages. Because I feel there's a part of Laodicea in me. There's a part of me. Come on, talk to me. Is it just me or can you see yourself a little bit? So I am not against being wealthy. But see, the problem with this church, it was, that's all it was about. What is the message you hear when you turn on these Christian television programs? Everything's about money. Because they're more interested in the money than the message. I, again, I can quit at any time, but I'm going to keep going, offending everyone until my time runs out. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. Now, when I read this when I was younger, and most people interpret it like what Jesus was saying, he's, he says, you're not either hot or cold. And people interpret it this way, like a barometer or a thermometer. Like, you're not, you're not hot and you're not cold. You know, in other words, hot's good, cold is bad. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, what he's saying is hot and cold are both good. Why? Because you got to remember Laodicea had no water of its own, no water source. So they would get hot water from Hierapolis, remember? And they would get their cold water from Colossae, right? Now, what's interesting about this, I want to make sure I, I say this right here. It's, really, it's interesting because hot water has a healing or therapeutic effect. 
Cold water has a refreshing quality. I live this every week because one of the things I do, part of my workout, is I go into the hot sauna. And man, it just, I feel like my bones feel good. It has a healing effect. And then I go directly to the cold effect. I go from hot to cold. And the reason why I do, because it speeds up your metabolism. There's this refreshing quality. And he says, the problem is that you're not hot or cold. You're lukewarm and nobody wants that. If I came and gave you water, here's some lukewarm water. You can look at me, Pastor, keep your water. Either give me some cold with some ice or give me some hot, put some coffee or tea in it. Amen? So what was Jesus saying to Laodicea? Here's what he was saying. He wasn't determining how hot and cold they were spiritually. He was saying, you have no, listen to this, you have no refreshing or healing qualities about yourself. You got a lot of people coming, but there's no one getting healed. There's no one being refreshed. And he's, he's basically referencing their doctrine because Ephesians 5.26 says, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Remember, the word is symbolic of water. The Holy Spirit smell of water. And he says, you have no water source of your own. You don't have the word. You don't have the spirit. You're preaching something, but it's not my gospel. And I kind of already gave you a hint of what the gospel is. Their gospel. False gospel. Just money, 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 money. And here's what's interesting. Are we the church of Laodicea? And I'm not talking right now. I'm talking about in general, this age. There was an article by thefederalist.com titled, Survey Finds Most American Christians Are Actually Heretics. It was a survey of 3,000 people who identified themselves as Christians. Listen to what Christians believe. More than half indicated that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. This is known as Arianism, and it was actually condemned in the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., but 64, or how many, more than half people believe this. 64% think that God accepts the worship, listen to this, of all religions, including those who believe in many gods. Two-thirds insist that people, most people, are good by nature in direct contradiction to the scripture. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. Romans says that. 74% of people who claim to be Christians said that the smallest sins don't warrant eternal damnation. That's not what James says. It goes on. So in other words, I think Laodicea, the church, is, is, is like Laodicea of old. It has no word. It has no water source of its own. Newsday religion reporter Kenneth Briggs, who wrote the book, The Invisible Bestseller, listen to this, The Invisible Bestseller. What's the bestseller of all time? Y'all know, right? The Bible. He called his book The Invisible Bestseller, Searching for the Bible in America. He traveled for two years visiting hundreds of churches looking for Christians still literate in the Bible. He called, now this is not me, don't be mad at me. He called, quote, megatype churches, unquote, a, quote, Bible-less alternative version of Christianity. When he went to all these mega churches, he couldn't find people who were telling the truth about the Bible or believing the, I'm not condemning it. This is his research. He went two years going to all of them. Even though most Bibles have four to five, uh, most homes, excuse me, most homes have four to five Bibles, he says the Bible has become, quote, a museum exhibit, hollowed as a treasure, but enigmatic and untouched, unquote. So he says, even though most homes have fortified Bibles, it's like a museum. No one touches it, looks at it. Don't touch it. It's special. And I, I'm thinking, when's the last time you read your Bible? Outside of coming on Sunday morning. Do you read it? Our kids are in such a mess because we don't make them read it, and you do have to make kids read it. You have to do devotions with your children. 
It's sad. A recent Barna survey conducted for the American Bible Society found less. Oh, let me go back before I give you this. Remember he was searching for two years to find where people were literate in the Bible? Guess where he found the most literate people in the Bible? In prison. Prisoners knew more about the Bible than anybody else in church. Does God have to send us to prison before we study this thing? Does he have to lock us up where there's nothing else? Where you can't look at your phone all day and get the crap that comes through? Isn't that sad? Prisoners are more literate than most Christians in their churches. A recent Barner survey conducted for the American Bible Society found less than half the country can name the first five books of the Old Testament. Many think that John the Baptist was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. I can go on, but it's depressing. If that was you, I thought he was. Okay, I'm sorry. He was not one of the disciples, okay? He says, thou art lukewarm. By the time the imported water by way of aqueduct arrived in Laodicea city, it was lukewarm and polluted. If a person drank the water without boiling it, it would produce nausea and cause vomiting. They would spit out the lukewarm water because they could taste the impurities. And Jesus saying, you've become so impure, I'm about to what? Spit you out of my mouth. I can taste the impurity in you. Laodicea could not contain sound doctrine because of its engineers. Again, Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hooned themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold on water. Isn't it, I know that you, let me explain this to you. He says, my people have done two wrongs. My word, my spirit is like a well of water, but they've forsaken that one, and they've come up with their own well. Two evils. The church of Laodicea, no, I have my own word. I have my own message. I have my own spirit, but it's in opposition to God's word, in opposition to God's Holy Spirit. And if I have time, I'm going to hit on it like you won't believe this. This is blow you away. Here's what's crazy. Remember, Laodicea was the city of wealth. It was well known for its wealth. The people, this is going to blow you away. The people of Colossae, remember, the cold water came from Colossae. They begin to run to Laodicea because they heard the water was better there. Laodicea, it was so wealthy, it was able to bring the cold water from Colossae. From Colossae and the people in Colossae said, man, I hear the water in Laodicea. So they started floating and flooding because they heard the water was better there. And they didn't realize they were paying for their own water. Like us, we buy this water, you know, water bottles. It isn't, it's just junk from another city. Come on. You, you can go look up the numbers. They say it's worse than even your tap water, some of these bottled water. But you know what that's so symbolic of? A bunch of empty Christians going from one church to another, another conference, another, looking for water that they already had, but they were ignoring. This is the age where people go from church to church. I don't like him. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. and you go from one, looking for better water. And God's saying, you had the water over there. In fact, it was even better. The reason why you left was why it was better because he was telling you your business and you need to get it right. <laughs> Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.7 that they learn forever, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. How many times do you have to hear the same old thing before you start doing right? Jesus said there's spots in your feast of charity. They're like clouds without rain, twice dead. Jude 1.12. Oh, man. There's so much. I'm skipping stuff. Um, he says, I will spoo thee out of my mouth. The word in Greek is I will. It means I'm about to. I'm ready to. I have it in my mind. In other words, he hasn't done it yet. You know why? Because he wants you to repent. He hasn't vomited you out of his mouth yet because he wants you to change. Amen? 
The word spew is the Greek word emio. It means to vomit. Interesting, when people drank lukewarm water on accident, they would even stick their finger down their throat to vomit it out. Physicians used lukewarm water to cause vomiting. If they felt like you were poisoned, they would put their finger down your mouth to make you vomit. And Jesus says, I'm about to do that with you. And you know what? It seems harsh because we just like the Jesus that, I don't know, some hippie Jesus that don't see nothing. What do I mean by that? You know, because I want to talk about this because people, you mean I, I could be spitting out? Well, let me explain this to you. If, and I had this analogy I thought was good. If you were sitting at a table every day with the same person and they ate like this, and food just falling out and spitting, and then their nose is running, they don't wipe it while you're eating. You know what you're going to do? How many days of that are you going to put up with before you say, hey, I love you, but I'm not eating with you? Come on. Right? Because it's making you sick. You want to throw up. Jesus is saying the same thing. You're making me sick now. I've asked you about this a while, and you're still doing the same thing, spitting and letting boogers just hang from your mouth while me. Come on. Do you understand? Anybody would get sick of that after a while. He said, I'm about to vomit. You're making me sick. Repent. Oh, my God. Yeah, let me see. Should I say this? Isn't this interesting? The church, or the city was named after the lady, Laodice. Laodice, remember I said that? You know who she was married to? She was married to Antiochus II, Theos, in history. There's so much, we should know his name, especially in church history, if you want to study the book of Daniel. But Antiochus II, Theos, his name means anti, and it means Theos, God. He was anti-God. It also means in place of God. So Laodice was married to a guy who was anti-Christ spirit. He was married to someone who came in the place of God. And that's the problem with Laodicea, the church, that we've got, we've taken someone and put, we've taken God and replaced him with money, replaced him with the gospel of convenience. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She was actually, that's why the more you study this, and it goes on, I, I, mean, I can go on and on. You know, it's crazy. The emperor that was before them, his name was Philadelphus. He was the one who gave us the scriptures in Greek, a good guy. And you can see the analogy. He's almost Christ-like. He's not Christ, but it's a picture. He tells Antiochus too, this Laodice, she's a, she, she's a witch. He says, I'm going to give you my daughter, Berenice, and you kick her out. So that's what he did. And Berenice, you know, she's almost symbolic of the real church, the real heir. But guess what? Philadelphus dies, and Antiochus brings back Laodice. And Laodice has Bernice, Bernice killed. And you can see the analogy of people who are in the church, but they're killing off the real people. Are you following me? And to make it worse, she was so evil, Laodice. Her husband, Antiochus too, she poisoned him to death so that she could rule. Remember, the people will rule. I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, this history is amazing. There's so much notes. Read it when you get home. And so, and not only that, she doesn't just kill him. She gets a clone to represent him, she gets a guy who looks just like him, talks like him, looks like him, to pretend he's still the emperor so that she can rule behind the scenes. You got a bunch of clone pastors, come on. Fake believers, killing off the real believers. And they have a fake voice of God telling you this is the right way. God. By the way, there was an emperor that came after him named Ptolemy Eurigetes, his word means benefactor, and he kicked out, he was the brother of Berenice, and he killed Laodicea, if you will, Laodice, and got rid of her. I, I know that we have a big brother named Jesus, the benefactor, who's about to come, 
kick out Laodicea and bring her Jesus movement to this nation now, not tomorrow, today. I know this sounds negative, but I believe in a last day move of God. Or else I wouldn't stand here. I believe Jesus is about to change everything. I believe that right now that we can change from being a Laodice to being a Berenice. A blessing. The one truly called to be the heir of the city. You can already see it happening. You know why there's so much crap in the news? Because right, God is getting all that crap out so that the good can come arise afterwards. Are you hearing me? Judgment has begun in this nation. He's, listen to this. Jesus said, because thou sayest I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have no need of nothing. Jesus says, notice, he says, because thou sayest. In other words, he's saying, you say you're rich. You say you don't need nothing. He says, that's your self-perception, but you're off. Isn't that crazy? Why? Because it's interesting. They said, we're rich. This is what they said. We see. They had that eye south. And they said, what's the third thing they said? What's that? Clothing. Thank you. Thank you. Clothing. So we have, we have fly clothes. Jesus says, nope. You're poor. You're naked. And you're blind. Everything that they were good at, your clothing, you're naked. In fact, he says, I encourage you to buy my clothing, not that black cloth you have, but buy my white raiment. Why? No offense, but black is always symbolic of sin in the Bible. Now, we're not talking about natural clothing. You can wear it. We're talking in the Bible, okay? But notice he says, buy for me white because it represents the righteousness of the saints. So he wasn't talking about them changing the clothing. He's talking about changing your heart. Do you understand that? Though your sins be red as scar, they shall be white as snow. And um, Revelation says white is the righteousness of the saints. And then he says you are, you're naked. And why? Because naked, what does he mean they're naked? Naked is always, you might want to write this down, nakedness is always a sign of unrepented sin. When Adam and Eve, when did they realize they had sinned? When they were naked, but they hadn't repented yet. In fact, it's interesting because you'll find that even David, when he sent some ambassadors to the Ammonites, I love this, I think it's funny. Well, <laughs> he sends them to, and the Ammonites said, who's David? We don't, we don't care about you. And he disrespected his ambassadors. You know how? Remember, they wore beards and mustache. He, the Ammonites shaved half their beard and mustache off, so they were shaven here, full beard here, and then they cut out a box where their booty was. So when they ran out, they, they could see their butt and their half-shaved faces. Right? I think, the, I think scripture's funny. But why? It was to humiliate them. And that's what's, in other words, Jesus is saying, you think you're, you're so proud, but actually you're being humiliated because you're naked. Your butt is showing and you don't even know it. Your assets are all out and you don't know it. Come on, talk to me. That's what he's saying. He's literally saying. The Bible says, I just showed it to you. Lord Jesus, I'm going to read you something. An inscription on the cathedral in Lipric, Germany. Thus speak of Christ to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. 
You call me way and walk me not. You call me life and choose me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me noble and you serve me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me might and, I, and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Okay. You want me to go five more minutes? Because I can end right there. I think the message, you pretty much know what's going on here. Jesus makes three appeals. In Revelation 3, 18 through 20, the first appeal, he says, I counsel you to buy me gold tried by fire, which is the word of God. He's telling, you know, you can read that in Psalms 12, 6, Jeremiah 23, 29. It's not my word like a fire. So he says, I counsel you to buy me um, gold tried by fire. He's not talking about literal fire. He's talking about the word of God. Why does he say tried by fire? You ready for this beautiful treat? A goldsmith would heat the gold in a vessel and scrape off the impurities from the surface of the molten metal. The gold would be pure, listen to this, when the goldsmith could see his reflection on the mirror-like surface of the precious metal. Christ will work on us until his image appears in us. So he says, you know the problem? You don't look like me, but go buy gold for me. Get into the word of God and don't get away from it until you start looking like me. You start acting like me. You start talking like me. That's the answer to this problem. Come on, this is good stuff. He then says that you may be rich. Oh, my God. Did you know I found there happens to be seven riches in the Bible I was able to find? Do you want them? Um, the first one is Romans 2.4. You find the riches of goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. These are riches, true riches. The Bible calls them true riches. You have his fourth rich is found glory. And that's 923, Romans 923. Again, Romans 923, Ephesians 118. And there's more, but I'll stop there. His fifth rich is wisdom and knowledge, fifth and sixth. And that's Romans 1133. And then his seventh rich, because it says, talks about the riches, buy from me riches, um, is his grace. Found Ephesians 17, Ephesians 27. But what do these riches do? Philippians 419, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. So what do God's riches do? They supply all your needs. He says, come to me. Get from me riches. You got banking riches, but you need my riches. There's a heavenly bank that will supply all your needs. Amen? Appeal number two, he told them to buy white raiment, that thou shouldest be clothed. I already covered that. White represents the righteousness of the saints. Roman, you can find that in Revelation 19.8. You can find that in Psalms 132.9. Psalm 132.9. Isaiah 118, I actually quoted that. Oh, did you guys want the reference from the Ammonites? That, 2 Samuel 10, 3-4. When I told the story about the Ammonites, what they did to David's people, shaved their butt out. Their assets were literally out. 2 Samuel 10, 3-4. The third appeal that he makes them, he says, anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He says, you, you are known for your eye salve, but get my eye salve. You know what's interesting? The word eye salve just so happens in Greek, the diminutive form means the word. It means the bread of life. So he says, hey, you got your eye salve, I got mine. And then he says anointed, that means to rub. In other words, rub, scrutinize it, put the word of God in your eyes, rub it. Rub the word of God in your eyes so you can see. Isn't that interesting? In fact, when you would buy their Phrygian um, powder, it came in little loaves so it looked like bread. And he's saying, you need to get my bread, my bread of life. Purchase from me my eye salve so that you can truly see. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Oh, man. 
He rebukes those he loves, 94.12. He tells us to be zealous, which means to be hot. Be passionate with me. Come on, bring on the passion, Jesus says. Revelation 1.13, behold, I stand at the door. You know what's sad? Preachers, we use this every week for people to come to the altar. We say, hey, Jesus is knocking on the door of the heart, unsaved one. But that's not the context. The context, he's knocking on the door of the church. At the beginning of Revelation 3, he's standing in the midst, remember? The, the seven lampstands, and he has the stars in his hands. And now by the time we get at the end, he looks like Fred Flintstone being kicked out of his own house. Y'all remember that? The beginning of Fred Flintstone, he was always being, I was almost going to play that, just so you could see that image. Because now we see Jesus, he's what? Knocking on his own church. Not to the unbelievers, to the church, saying, can I please come in? And he says, if you allow me, he says, I will sup with you and you will sup with me. We'll have dinner together. And a lot of people don't understand what that means. Because in the Jewish culture, you don't eat with your enemies. In fact, when you, you would usually break the bread, right? In America, we go, oh, two pieces of bread. No. Jewish people look at it as one piece of bread in two parts. So as you eat your bread and I eat my bread and I broke it, we're now one because the same bread that sustains me is now sustaining you. And now we are brothers under the skin. Are you following me? That's the analogy Jesus was using. So if I'm mad at you, I'm a fool because I'm mad at myself because you are me and I am you. Did you hear what I just said? What is Jesus saying? He goes, come, let's eat together so we can settle this craziness, this divide, me outside the door, like a bad marriage, someone sleeping on the couch while you're in the room. Come on, talk to me. Let's settle this. Let's eat together. Let's become one again. Again, I can go on and on. This is the most beautiful letter. He gives you one promise. He says, to them that overcome, I will grant you to sit on my seat on the throne. In Revelation 24, it shows you who has those thrones. Why does he want to give us a throne? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he wants us to reign with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2-3, it actually tells us who we're going to rule. It says... Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And then he goes on and say, know you not that we shall judge the angels? I mean, we're, you have this beautiful throne and then you have these other thrones. He says, if you overcome, you'll reign with me. You'll judge the angels with me. You'll judge the world. You'll be my witnesses. He's so willing to give us so much if we just repent. If we will just move towards him. And he told us, because I can imagine some people aren't in here saying, I don't know how to overcome. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Here's how you overcome. Revelation 12 says, and I believe it's verse 11, and they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb has to do with your past sins. All your sins are dealt with. I don't care what you've done. The blood of the lamb covers it. The word of your testimony has to do with what you're saying about your future. I'm not going to do that no more. I'm going to claim God's power over, the, over, over this. But if you make a mistake, the message comes back. You overcome by the blood of the lamb. Let it go. He understands you're battling. You hear what I'm saying? But let's not stay complacent. Well, that's just how it is. No, no, no. That spirit is wrong. I'll spit you out because that's lukewarm. But somebody says, Lord, I keep messing up. But I'm going to keep battling. There's things that I'm still battling. But you know what I tell the Lord? I'm not giving up. 
Ah, here's a new day. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm going to do it again. I'm not falling. I'm not going to stop just because I'm a failure. I'm not going to stop trying to do right because I messed in the past. I will never give up. I will never give up. Every morning I'll try again, Jesus. And he goes, well done. An overcomer. I'm not going to allow my past failures to keep me from going forward. No matter how many times I failed. If that's you, let's come on up to the altar and just tell that to God in your own way. Come on, let's do the stand. If that's you, you say, Lord, I'm not giving up. I'm never giving up. That's all I want you. I want you to just come on up and tell that to the Lord. Take two minutes and then we'll go home. Just come up to the altar. Talk to Jesus. Tell him, I'm never giving up. By your grace, I'll continue to stand. By your grace, I'll move forward with my family, with my children, at my school, at my work, at my job. Because this is the generation. We refuse to be Laodicea. We will be Berenice. We will be the benefactors. We will be the body that Christ has called us to be. If you guys can lead us in a song, I appreciate it. Give the Lord a big shout of praise. I want to thank you for being able to hear preaching like this. Very few people can hear preaching like this. And I promise you, wherever God has me, I will always preach the truth. I won't preach for money. I haven't yet. I won't preach for applause or effect. I will always be transparent. And I'll always be the person that Jesus called me to be. Amen. And I will give you my best. Thank you for supporting this ministry. Thank you for allowing me to do what I want to do because I got to be true to my God. Amen. And you guys have allowed me. Why am I saying that? Because this message is a lot of bad, but I don't see this place as that. You guys are awesome. And the areas where we look a little bit like Laodicea, we can rub it off in the name of Jesus. Amen. We can take the eye of the Lord and say, help me change my vision. And... Wow, there's such an anointing in this place. And I actually see the hand of the Lord, fire emanating from his hand. T touch your neighbor. That means that God wants to heal someone today. The fire of the Lord is actually in this place. I actually see it. I want you to pray over your neighbor and claim healing. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I release the healing power of Jesus Christ. Be made whole, even right now where you're at. We take authority over cancer. HIV, blood issues, diabetes, clots, blood issues of all kinds. We, we defeat you in the name of Jesus. We curse you. We command you to release. There's some feminine issues. Someone on their right side, you have a pain. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. Clot. Someone um, with head. You've been having some headaches and you don't know why. In the name of Jesus, I've commanded to go away right now in Jesus' name. Man, things are happening all over. Someone's been having a problem with their feet. In the name of Jesus Christ, be made a whole with your feet. Be made whole. I hear another cancer person. Be made whole in the name of Jesus. Words of knowledge are flowing right now. There's a marriage. You're saying, Lord, I don't know if I can go another week. God says, I'm going to heal your marriage. I'm going to heal it. I'm going to set you free. You're going to be married to a new woman, a new man in Jesus' name. Lord, I claim that in the name of Jesus right now. 
Someone's having a problem with school. It's payment. Sounds like a college person. God's about to supply your need. Claim that right now in Jesus' name. Remember, he says, I will give you my riches. And the riches of God supply all your need. I release that. I speak the riches of God into you. I speak that. Someone having a problem with a house payment? God says, I got your back. He says, be faithful when you're giving. I got your back. I haven't had this many words of knowledge in a long time. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. How many feel the power of God right now? It's, I mean, you can literally feel it. It's like just flowing. Lord, we receive because we give you glory. We give you honor. Let all of it come to pass for your glory so we can win people to Christ about the good news, about what you've done in our lives. We vow to give you all the praise, all the glory, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, man, I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We thank you for your participation in another broadcast of A Radiant Moment. This broadcast is brought to you by the generous giving and donations of our listening audience. If this program has been a blessing to your life, you can help us expand our listening audience by giving a financial donation at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Simply click the online giving tab and fill out the amount God has placed in your heart. For service times, live streaming, and location, visit us online at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Tune in next time as we bring another relevant and radiant word for your life today. Until next time, and remember, God loves you.